Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. On the Gaines Podcast, we love talking about money. We've talked about crypto, NFT, SPACs, IPOs, growth in meme stocks, when there was opportunity to make quick cash. We talked about inflation plays and oil stocks when it appeared inflation was not just transitory, like the Fed was saying at the time, and our sources were telling us that Russia was going to invade Ukraine. And energy moved higher, and we could bank on that. And the Dow Theory around that same time showed us cracks in the market. Still bearish. The Dow Theory still bearish, by the way. What did a lot of us do? We outright shorted the market. We made some cash. It later popped up off those lows, and now the market is again pulling back. And right now, there isn't very much clarity. Like I said, the Dow Theory is telling us we're going to at least see a retest of those recent lows. And this is all happening in the backdrop where we're paying a ton more for food and fuel. So as much as I'd like to say, joining us to talk about all these different opportunities to make some coin, we are still not there yet. Sometimes the best move is to do nothing. We're in a wait-and-see situation And if you have no move, you do nothing. So let's talk about what comes next. I'm Andy Gersher, and this is Gaines. So let's bring on one of those guests who's been with us along the way, has given us a ton of clarity and a lot of accurate predictions along the way, and that's Jim Welsh. Macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego, California. The website, of course, macrotides.com. Jim, great to have you on the Gains Podcast. It's been rough going as of late for markets. And, you know, really over the last two months or so, my messaging has been pretty consistent, Andy, in that the Fed was going to remain a very hawkish tone reemphasizing that they would likely raise rates uh, not only at 75 basis points at the June meeting, but also in the July meeting. And that would be going on while we would see more evidence that the U.S. economy is slowing. And last but not least, sooner or later, Wall Street analysts would get around to cutting earnings expectations for the second half of this year in 2023. With that kind of headwind, it's very difficult for the market to make an awful lot of upside progress. And, you know, my expectation was that we would see lower lows, and we have. 
You know, and as much as I like talking about crypto and NFTs, and we've talked about, you know, the growth stocks and why investing so much fun and the money that can be made, you know, the last couple months it's just we've we've had to get serious on the gains podcast and and just talk about the reality that we're in and just kind of hold people's hands as we go through this as we're at these lower levels do you see any silver lining here what's your read on the market and again uh, when can we start talking about the the fun stuff and just bringing in tons and tons of money uh it just certainly isn't like that as of late and i think to speak that way would be a a little bit irresponsible as well so we are realists and just kind of give us uh where we're at and and you know the truth of of where things are uh even if it's not fun well one of the things i think a lot of people in the business who have been in the let's say investment business for 25 to 30 years They've never experienced the type of inflation that we've seen over the last year because we're at the highest in 40 years. And as a result, they've experienced a Federal Reserve that typically has uh, you know, shifted from tightening to easing pretty quickly. And the reason, though, they could do that, Andy, is because inflation remained at 2% or even lower. With the CPI north of uh, 8%, the uh, the Personal consum- Consumption Expenditures Index, which is their favorite uh, inflation metric, at around uh, 5 to 6%, both core and the headline. They don't have that luxury. They need to raise rates enough. And I think what has happened, and I discussed this at length in the July macro ties, is that markets have anticipated and run ahead of the Fed because the Fed was so far behind the curve. And you, the two-year Treasury yield was up to almost 3.5%, while the Fed funds rate uh, was up around uh, one and three-quarters percent. So huge gap. But what that has meant is financial conditions have tightened significantly because you also had the S&P down over 20%. Credit spreads between Treasury and high-yield bonds have widened out, and we've seen the dollar make you know, higher highs, the highest level in more than 20 years. Those are all the inputs to financial conditions. Historically, Andy, uh, you know, I've said this, and a lot of people say this, if you look at monetary policy, you have to wait about 6 to 12 months for changes today to fully flow through the economy and reach their, their maximum. But what I suggested in the July macro tides is because uh, financial conditions have tightened more since mid-March than in any of the prior seven rate-hiking cycles, that the odds were we would see the impact from those tighter conditions bringing that six- to 12-month window closer to home. In other words, we'll see more evidence of more slowing because of the big increase in financial conditions. That has the potential, not at the July meeting, but the meetings after that, to potentially get the Fed to moderate the magnitude of rate increases. So to me, that is the only silver lining light at the end of the tunnel. But in the meantime, I think we're, you know, the Fed is going to continue to talk tough, and I still believe the odds are they will raise by 75 basis points uh, at the July meeting. If they do that, as anticipated, have they at least 
gotten ahead of this a little bit. Uh, and then the other thing I want to talk about is just that their counterpart, like Europe and some other mm-hmm. central banks, have not gotten nearly aggressive. That's why we've seen strength in the dollar. So how does yep. all of that play in in the equation? Yeah. But let's start with, uh, you know, how much farther do they have to go before they can really get a good handle on this inflation? You just mentioned yeah. results yeah. lag. Well, the you know Chair Powell and a number of the other members of the FOMC board have been like one voice saying we need to get the federal funds rate up to neutral as expeditiously as we can. And Powell has said for him the the neutral rate's two and a half. Uh, President Bullard of St. Louis is probably closer to three percent. So they're a little bit. Of, you know, uh, spread out. It isn't a precise number. My point would be that by going 75 basis points, the funds rate will then be at a range of two and a quarter to two and a half, which is awfully close to that two and a half percent, which is to me why I think they will go 75 basis points at the July meeting. They get it in the zip code of neutral and they'll do it as expeditiously as they can. Will they, they rest? Happens? Will they rest after, or do you think that they'll still have to maybe follow through with maybe not as aggressive moves? I, I think they will follow through, uh, but the optionality then becomes, Andy, that instead of doing 75 basis points in September, I think the debate will be 25 or 50. And that deceleration in the, the magnitude of the rate increases, I think— could help lift and at least provide a decent-sized rally in equity prices. So that, yeah, and that's real quick, real quick, as, as, as we're talking about that, that move to get us there, is that going to throw us into a recession? Um, I, I don't think so. Um, you think they'll skate? Uh, you think that they may be able to skate past uh, by, by maybe slowing down there? They might actually thwart a full-blown recession. Well, we got to discuss the definition of Yeah, that's recession. that's a good point. I mean, it's you know, it's a technical thing too. Hey, real quick, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That's an option for you. As always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new gains episode drops. We drop gains episodes on Wednesday and Friday mornings. We'll be back with Jim Welsh right after the break. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. 
Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Back with Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager for Smart Portfolios out of San Diego. And, of course, his website is macrotides.com. Jim, as we were heading into the break, we were talking recession, the possibility of one. We mentioned you, first of all, have to define what a recession is. The definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. We're there almost. I mean, in, in, in less, you know, well, as, as so far, we're there already unless we get a turnaround in, in, in the, most, the latest quarter. Well, in the last, you know, handful of days, a lot of people are quoting and looking at the Atlanta Fed, which updates its GDP forecast for each quarter just about every time a major uh, economic report comes out. And their latest update at the end of last week has GDP shrinking by 2.1% or so, I think it was in the second quarter. Right. So the point, though, is in the first quarter, GDP was negative, but it was because there was a huge trade deficit in the U.S. And so the Commerce Department says, okay, we're doing gross domestic product. So anything that U.S. consumers bought overseas doesn't add to GDP. In fact, they subtract it. So the huge deficit in the first quarter, Andy, subtracted more than 3% from GDP. And the point I would make is demand was really healthy. And the fact that some of that demand was satisfied by getting goods and services from overseas doesn't negate the strength of the demand. So technically, yes, the U.S. economy may be in a recession. But the first quarter saw, uh, I think, final demand up 3.7%. In other words, it was a really healthy first quarter. So there are those that want to, who have been on the bandwagon. We're going into a recession, and they want to be right, and so they're going to ignore really any kind of uh, critical thinking when it comes to the first quarter. And then there's a whole bunch of people who don't know anything about this stuff. And I'm talking about people in the business. Uh, and they're, oh, yeah, look at the first quarter, GDP was negative, and now the second quarter, oh, God, we're, we're in a recession already. And my point is, come on. Well, folks, but technically, I mean, technically, if you use by the definitions that the economists use, I mean, isn't that correct? No. Why not? Economists use that definition. It's like a shorthand, right? Right. But the National Bureau of Economic uh, Resources, uh, they use a definition that includes multiple variables beyond GDP. So in 2001, we didn't have two consecutive quarters of uh, negative growth. And yet they said we had a recession. Yeah, they did. I mean, yeah. Okay. And there was another window of time in the 1960s where uh, they declared a a recession, uh, probably not a recession, even though you had two negative consecutive quarters of GDP. Because when they looked at all the other variables, there was enough strength Uh, in those other variables to kind of say, okay, yeah, GDP may be down, but this economy is still in decent shape. So my point is the people that determine whether we're officially in a recession or not and the timing of when it begins and ends uh, really have a different approach. 
And what's happening? And again, is I think everybody... an important thing to note is we don't we don't even get those final calls until often after the after the facts. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, we were talking about markets. Technically, Dow Theory's telling telling me there's a lot there's more downside to go here. You mentioned that uh, you even see the market maybe on a technical side leaning weak. Uh, isn't the market telling us a little something? Well, again, I don't believe markets tell us anything, all right? And I know that's kind of like heresy because on Wall Street, investors are told every single day markets discount the future, okay? And the reality is, well, when the S&P hit a new all-time high in January of this year, what was it telling everybody? That everything was okay? That the Fed and inflation weren't going to become a problem? So the idea that markets know anything to me, is the greatest delusion that has ever existed, and yet Wall Street repeats it every single day. I, the, I, I talk to a ton of people, and they say that the market runs three to six months ahead of time, and that what the economy is actually feeling is what the market is indicating three, six, nine months ahead. Uh, I know we've talked about that before. You don't buy yeah. that for a second, do you? I don't. I don't, because in October 2007, the S&P made a new all-time high. Um, and look what happened uh, more than a year later. You know, we had a financial crisis in March of 2020. You know, everybody thought the world was coming to an end, and yet the market bottomed. And we had the slowest recovery uh, almost on record off that low, and yet markets did exceedingly well. So to me, it's like driving a car. If you tell me that there's a curve in the road two miles down the road, am I just going to look at the odometer? And say, so, okay, Andy, we're at two miles from when you told me that, and I'm curving to the right because you said two miles. No one drives a car that way. You drive looking out the front window and, you know, hey, guess what? You come to a curve, you react accordingly. And so to me, that's where technical analysis can really be helpful because it helps identify whether the market's strengthening or weakening. But you're saying you the market is weakening, though. You are saying it, it has. Yeah, well, it has significantly. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, uh, again, that doesn't preclude a rally in the short term. For instance, the S&P rallied 309 points from a low on June 16th to a high on uh, June 28th, from 36.37 to 39.46. It pulled back last uh, Thursday to 37.39, and today's low is 37.42. So we got near that low on last Thursday, and we rebounded. That opens the door for a rally above 4,000 as a possibility here, Andy. Does it change the bigger picture? I'm not confident or, or have a level of conviction that it, in fact, does, given the things we discussed earlier in terms of monetary policy, what's happening to the economy slowing additionally. There is a risk of a recession, no doubt about it, and earnings are going to be cut. So near term, we could see a rally up to 4,000 or so. Um, I'm not sure that that means that the bottom is in yet. Yeah, I, so, I would think that if you see a rally here, and this is according to the Dow theory, which I'm a big believer. This thing is uh, yeah. the Dow theory has guided us, and, and you know we've been it's, even it's talking a nice about indicator. Oh, it, it has, and it's been incredibly accurate. And it was, you know, indicating weakness when everybody said everything was fine, and even after the last, uh, you know pop that we had, yep. you know, a jump, you know, in an overall downtrend. Downtrend, downtrend, 
you know, everything on 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 paper here tells us we're going to go retest those uh, lows that were put in not too long ago. Do you concur with that? How is the Dow theory gelling with the way you see the market? Well, I have an indicator called the major trend indicator, Andy, and I have the data back to like 1928, much like the Dow theory, right? And it just does a decent job of identifying whether we're in a bull trend or bear trend. Uh, it turned positive in April of 2020 and turned negative in April of this year. So it doesn't get the exact bottom or high, but it does a pretty good job of catching what's in between. Uh, so that's negative and has been negative uh, going into this year. You and I spoke in December. I said, I'm looking for a 10 to 15 percent correction because the Fed's going to change monetary policy and that's going to be a problem for the market. So there are ways to identify when these trend changes come. Um, I think there's a chance the Fed might be able to pull back, but they're going to need to see more weakness uh, in economic growth. And maybe more than anything, Andy, they need to see that the labor market is really easing up. And I'm not sure they're going to get it this Friday with the employment report. I mean, job growth may not be and probably won't be as strong as it was uh, in May, but they really need to see things like the uh, JOLTS survey, which comes out this Wednesday, tomorrow, but that's for the month of May, not June. So it's a month behind. Uh, we've had 11.5 million people or job postings and about 5 million people looking for a job. Um, so they're going to need to see things like job postings drop, I think, by 2 to 3 million to have the confidence that, okay, yeah, the labor market is going to ease up. It's going to filter its way through companies, you know, that have maybe they're looking for 10 people. Now, given everything that's going on in the news, outlook for a recession, it almost becomes a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy where corporate CEO executives, you know, we're, we're going to increase our uh, business investment by 8% this year. Uh, now, with everything that's going on, I think we're going to only do it by 4%. Uh, we were going to hire 10 people. Well, maybe we're only going to ha hire five. And then once the economy shows more signs that it truly is slowing, what happens, Andy, is instead of giving people overtime, guess what? There is no overtime. Instead of somebody working 35 hours, they're working 32 hours. They don't want to lay people off, but they need to cut labor expenses. So that's why the labor market uh, information is kind of a lagging into indicator. But at the front end of that is things like unemployment claims and the uh, Indeed does post a more ni a timely uh, job postings number, and that has been starting to work its way lower. So the Fed, I think, really wants to see that the labor market will ease up, and that also means later this year we'll see the unemployment rate ticking higher and so forth. But that's, I think, the information that the Fed needs in order to really downshift uh, you know, the increases from 75 basis points to either 50 or 25. Is that I don't downshift? think we're going to get that data until we're maybe into August or, or later. Even. Is that downshift what you think will prevent us from going into a, a full-blown recession? Even though you said in the first quarter, the yep. data is not there, so right. we're going to have to wait for another quarter. Yeah. Okay. Well, in April, my take was there's going to be a recession scare. We're there right now, okay? Um, and the economy is going to continue to weaken, not just, you know, from the second quarter, irrespective of whatever the number comes out. The first estimate, I think, is like July 27th or 8th. Uh, we'll see that slowing persist into the third quarter. Uh, 
Um, so, you know, I think if the Fed moves the funds rate above 3%, then I think the odds of a recession go up significantly. I just think that they're likely to start to dial back the magnitude of increases once they get past the July meeting. And as long as they see the things that they want to see, inflation starting to come down, uh, supply chain starting to improve, um, and finally that the labor market shows real signs that it is easing up, the labor market tightness. If they don't so there's get a lot that, to get through in the next two, three months. Right, and if they don't get there to that 3%, explain the tightrope walk that the Fed is 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 involved in right now yeah, because yeah. you get too aggressive yeah you're going to squash out inflation but throw the economy into a recession if you're not aggressive en- enough uh you might not throw us into a recession but then you have the inflation thing which could even be worse yes so, so explain the, that. the street right now is projecting that the Fed will increase the funds rate by another 150 to 175 basis points by the time we get into early next year. By the end of 2023, they expect the Fed to say, oh, we made a big mistake and we're going to start cutting rates. Uh, That's what the consensus outlook is right now. I'm in the mind that the Fed has told us, Powell repeatedly and other members too, that they will want to avoid a recession and if at all possible, create a soft landing. Well, it's a Tuesday after a Monday holiday, so I know you're going to have to get uh, to writing. I believe it's a Macro Tides Day. But as we're wrapping up the Gaines podcast today, what's your advice? You know, we've talked a lot of levels and Fed and where they're going, but the bottom line, boil it down. What is the advice for the individual investor who's concerned right now, right now, seeing their uh, portfolio cut in a big way? They just want to know how much more pain to the downside they're going to experience what's going to happen. What do you tell them? Okay. Well, first of all, I believe it's too late to sell at this point in time. Uh, one of the early price targets I had, as you know, Andy, was 38.50. Because if you look at the low in March of 2020 and the high this past January, the 38.2% retracement was 38.15, which is why I kept saying I think we're going to 38.50. The 50% retracement of that big move up is 35.05. So to me, that is a target that needs to be taken uh, seriously. If and when the S&P starts to get near that target, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be looking to buy because I do think we're going to see a shift in monetary policy, even if it's just to you know, slow the, the magnitude of rate increases. And I think the market would react pretty positively to that. Uh, so I think that's the downside risk is something below 3600 maybe closer to 3500 I think, you know, when you look at the percentages, that's why it makes sense not to unload at this point in time. And you've expressed in the past that there down the road could be a lot more pain, and I just want you to hit on that real quick. There's the potential that this decline from 4800 to wherever the load turns out to be could be the first leg of a much bigger bear market. And what happens, you get an intermission period where the S&P would retrace. Let's say the S&P falls uh, to 3,500. So that's a 1,300-point decline. Um, I would expect then somewhere along the line a rally that would retrace 38 to 50% of that decline. So what that would imply is, yeah, you get down to 3,500 and you're up to 4,200, give or take a little bit. 
And then you're going to have another leg down because inflation proves to be a bigger problem next year than anybody maybe or the Fed would anticipate. The flip side is everything goes really well. We, you know, skirt a deep recession, maybe, you know, have two quarters negative growth, second quarter and third quarter. Because you said that the first quarter, those economists that are claiming that the first or the first quarter was recessionary are are, are not correct. That's what you're saying. They're, no, they're, I mean technically, yeah, it was a negative GDP number. But if you look, but they, you the said surface, they don't use that. They don't just use a negative GDP number. The people who call this use yeah. a different set of standards. So the yeah. people who say the first quarter was a recession are wrong. Absolutely. Okay. And okay. I'm sure the NBER would, uh, you know, concur. Would agree. Yeah. And that. they're the Absolutely. ones who actually ultimately make the call. And we usually right. hear about that six months or a year after the fact. Yes, it is. It is many months later, uh, unfortunately. So anyway, the point being is we may hit a low at 3,500 and then everything works out reasonably well. We don't go into a huge recession. The market's been marked down both for the increase in yields and then earnings uh, shortfall. And we're ready to go to a new all-time high. There's no way of knowing which path the market's going to take other than, hey, if it gets down, there's a low coming, Andy, whether we hit it already or we'll hit it you know, near 3,500, that I think will be followed by a multi-month rally. That's what happens in bear markets. You get so compressed, all the negative news, a lot of selling gets absorbed, and then the news gets a little less bad for a little window of time. And the market has the opportunity to rebound, you know, pretty significantly. And you would have plenty of time to actually navigate because you're saying something like this would occur over months, not days. All right. Hey, big thanks to Jim Welsh, macro strategist, portfolio manager, smart portfolios out of San Diego, website, macrotides.com. Jim always uh, shares his email with the game's listeners. Uh, Throw that out there real quick. Okay, Jim Welsh Macro at Gmail. And the July uh, Macro Tides, Andy, looked at the potential uh, and analyzed, if you will, what circumstances are potentially setting up the next secular bear market. So my view is that sometime between 2024, 2025, that we will see a bear market similar to what we saw between 1966 in 1982, where the market went sideways uh, for 16 years and lost 30 to 40 percent of its value on a number of different occasions. And so there are, in my view, a number of fundamental factors that are creating weaknesses that I think will take us, you know, not just a year or two to resolve and address, but take a lot longer. So this. So the long the, term, your your long term look at the market, really long term, and we see you know coming off these these lows here, and there may be a potential for upside, but yep. you really see down the road not good things, you know, yeah. two three years out. Yeah, no, and I think that's why people will find it very very interesting to look at the impact of high levels of debt the increase in debt over the last 40 years in the United States, the velocity of money uh, and how that impacts GDP growth, and then demographics. You know, we're uh, giving birth to fewer and fewer people. So what that means, uh, I mean, last year was the lowest since 1937. 
So that means you've got to go out 20 years from now to see a whole bunch of new people joining the labor market, and that is a huge determinant of GDP growth. So, and then finally productivity. So there's these long-term things that have been building for decades that have been deteriorating. And I just think we're coming to a point where, um, you know, this stuff will come to a head, just like in 1966. That was the, S- the Dow and S&P rose over 500% from 1949 to 1966. I can assure you, in 1966, no one was thinking that the next 16 years would be like wandering in the desert, Didn't- the equity desert. No one. But inflation had from 1949, pardon me, 1951 to 65, it averaged like 1.2%. In 1966, it jumped to 3%, and then it continued to work its way higher. From 66 to 82, the average annual inflation was 6.9%. Again, no one was able to see this coming. So all I'm trying to say is, folks, here are some long-term factors that suggest uh, you know, there's going to be the need to be pretty careful in the not-too-distant future because some of this stuff is, again, as I said, building for decades you don't solve decade-long problems uh, in a handful of years. So I think, you know, I'm happy to send that out to viewers because this is going to be a big-time thing. In 1966, if you were 50 years old and you think, oh, gosh, I'm going to be great for retirement, you know, I'll retire and all the rest of that. And then, you, you know, the next 16 years, the market goes nowhere except you're now 66 years old. So that's the debilitating thing and the idea of buying and holding. That works great in a secular bear market. You know, from 1949 to 66, buying and holding was wonderful. From 1982 to 2000, wonderful. Uh, from 2009, uh, even up really effectively through January of this year, it was great. Just buy and hold. And the point being is you get to these environments, Andy, where buying and holding is not the right strategy for all your money. You need to be more tactical. And I just think it's important for people to start like thinking about like, okay, if this, this crazy guy Welsh is even potentially half right, what would that mean to me in terms of my portfolio, plans to retire, and so forth? And it's time to, now is the time to think about this because we're seeing the transition in monetary policy here globally. We are at war with Russia, whether anybody wants to acknowledge it, and we're at a quasi role. Uh, war with China. That, uh, that's what we're facing over the next 10 to 20 years. It's not pleasant, and it's certainly kind of scary. But uh, again, these are the things that are going on. Maybe all that stuff will go away and clear up. I hope it does. But I don't want to be caught with my pants around my ankles. Yeah, fair enough. Well, a stark warning there. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an eye-opener. Long-term, we may be facing some really, really ugly ugly thing. So anyway, well, hey, thanks again, Jim. We'll certainly have you on. You go do your macro tides thing because I know some of our listeners may be reaching out. Hey, thanks again. I really appreciate you joining us today. Always my pleasure, Andy. Thank you. All right. Be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and as always, subscribe. Turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We are back on Friday morning, and I look forward to seeing you then. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.